All right. Good morning, everybody. Are you ready to go? I want to welcome all of you here. I hope you've had a good week. I know for some of us, this week probably had its highs and its lows. Uh, Maybe for you, your low point had to do with basketball. It could be, if you're an NKU fan, maybe basketball was a high point in your week. It's also possible that you had one of those really difficult low points this week. And there's something I say a lot, and I'm going to say it again. No matter what's going on, we always have reasons to be thankful. We can always look around and see God's blessings. They are always there. And I'll I'll tell you one blessing that I was thinking about this week. Three years ago, exactly three years ago, March 12th, 2020, I put out a video announcement. And in this announcement, I said that Plum Creek would not be having in-person worship services that week because of some strange thing called the coronavirus. And as we all know from there, uh, we went into this really challenging period that stretched out for months and then years. So this is the blessing I'm thankful for. March 2023 does not feel like March 2020, and I'm praising God for that. I'm also very excited to get back to God's kingdom story. Man, it is such a privilege that we get to do this. Uh, Many of you know that we're taking several months to go through the big story of the Bible from creation to Christ. And we've divided this story into 16 chapters. And as of today, we're moving into the second half of the story. And I can't really go back and and give you a full review of what we've covered so far, but I can give you just the titles of chapters 1 through 8. We started with the Most High God. We're talking about the one true God, the one who has existed since before time began. And then from there, we looked at creation, the birth of the universe, the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, Noah and the flood, the scattering of humanity after the Tower of Babel, uh, Abraham, the patriarch, and the great blessing that he received from God, the Ten Commandments, and then last week we talked about the Old Covenant sacrifices. And today, we get to talk about the prophets. And I love this part of the Bible. The prophets are some of the most significant and interesting people in the entire Bible. So as we get started here, we need to define this word prophet. When you hear that word, what do you think of? You might think of someone who predicts the future, right? And and that's often what a prophet does. Many of the prophets in the Bible did predict uh, something that did actually happen. Now, many of us are fascinated by this because we'd love to know what's going to happen in the future. This week, I, I ran across several amazing predictions that people have made over the years. Uh, one of them goes back to 1898. There was an author named Morgan Robertson, and in 1898, He wrote a a short story, a short novel, and it was called Futility, or The Wreck of the Titan. Now, this book was fiction. It was about a ship called the Titan. And the Titan, in this story, it was the largest ship ever built. Unfortunately, though, there was a terrible accident. 
Uh, as, as this big ship was crossing the Atlantic, it crashed into an iceberg and it sank to the bottom of the sea. And many of the passengers died because there were not enough lifeboats to go around. Sound familiar? That fictional story about the Titan sounds exactly like the real story of the Titanic. Only thing is, that book was written 14 years before the Titanic sank. It's crazy. I'll give you one more. Uh, A lot of you know the name Nikola Tesla. Uh, Tesla was a, a great inventor, great engineer, and he was also a futurist. And over 100 years ago, Uh, He said something that's almost eerie today. This was back in 1909. Tesla said, It will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can carry and operate his own apparatus. And here we are. The vast majority of you carry and operate your own apparatus. You transmit wireless messages across the world. He's talking about smartphones. Crazy. But like I said, we're fascinated by this thought that someone might know at least part of the future. And you might think someone with that ability would be very popular, right? Huge numbers of people would gather around to hear what that person had to say. So is that what it was like for the prophets in the Bible? Were they extremely popular? Actually, no. They were not popular at all. And why would that be? Well, it's because the definition we just used is incomplete. Predicting the future is only part of the job. In a larger sense, a biblical prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. And based on that definition, there are many, many prophets in the Bible. Some of them uh, you might not think of that way. Uh, For example, we've been talking about Moses, the man used by God to deliver Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. And listen to how the Bible describes Moses after his death. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, uh, if you've been following along with God's kingdom story, you, you understand why Moses was a prophet, right? He spoke for God. Uh, God told Moses what to say to Pharaoh. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the Old Covenant laws. In a very literal sense, Moses spoke on God's behalf. And like I said, when, when you think of it that way, there are lots of prophets in the Bible. Abraham, King David was a prophet. You've got the, uh, some like Elijah and Elisha. And then in the New Testament, you have John the Baptist, even Jesus himself. But there's still one more way we need to define the word prophet. If we're using a capital P, uh, prophets can refer to a collection of books in the Old Testament. You've got the major prophets, which include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. You've also got the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, the the words major and minor, they're not really about rank. Uh, The minor prophets just tend to be shorter. They're shorter books. 
But these names right here, these are the prophets we're talking about today. And we need to get beyond those names and, and take a closer look at the role of a prophet. We know they spoke on God's behalf, but what did that look like? Well, one way you could think about the prophets is they were kind of like news reporters. And just like today, the news fell into two categories. You had bad news, and you also had good news. And just about every prophet got to tell both sides of the story, the good stuff and the bad stuff. So specifically, what news did these prophets share? Well, that depended on the context. It would change. And I won't describe each one of these prophets individually, but I can give you the context around them. And that's going to be a huge help if we want to understand their message. So here's the plan. I'm going to cover about a thousand years of this big story in about five minutes. And that's probably too ambitious, but I'm I'm going to try anyway. And here we go. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And back in the day, uh, God gave Abraham an amazing promise. He said, Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And what did that mean? Well, it, it meant that Abraham's descendants would bring salvation to the nations because the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born into this family. So over time, Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel. But then more years went by and the people of Israel became slaves in Egypt. And like I said a minute ago, Moses was chosen by God to lead Israel out of slavery and out of Egypt. There are several miracles that happened there that God worked. And then along the way, God made a promise that he would lead his people into the promised land, which is also known as the land of Canaan. However, some major events took place before these people entered the promised land. Uh, Let's go back to the Sinai Peninsula, which is the region between Egypt and Canaan. Now, there is a mountain on that peninsula named what? Mount Sinai. That's right. That's the mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Uh, That's where God established this special covenant relationship with his chosen people. And and we know about this word covenant, right? We, We said a covenant is a formal promise or an agreement between two parties. And this is a very, very important part of the story. This is where God said to Israel, if you obey my commandments, if you keep this covenant, you will be my treasured possession. So now file this away because this covenant was very, very important to the prophets. Uh, This covenant was Uh, really part of their main message, their primary message. God told the prophets to tell Israel, you've got to keep this covenant. Uh, A Bible teacher named Tim Mackey said the prophets were kind of like covenant watchdogs. Unfortunately, as we've already seen, the Israelites did a terrible job of keeping this covenant. Uh, As soon as Moses received the Ten Commandments, the people were bowing down to a golden calf. They were worshiping idols instead of the true God. But God didn't give up on his people. 
He wanted to dwell with them, live with them. And that was going to be a problem because God is holy and pure. And these people were sinful and impure. So God gave them a set of rituals that were designed to purify the people. We talked about that last week. This was the book of Leviticus. So in in these rituals, God told Israel to offer several kinds of sacrifices, and many of them were animal sacrifices. And during this period of history, God allowed an animal to be a substitute, literally dying in your place to pay the penalty for your sins. That was the old covenant agreement, but it was only a temporary arrangement because, guess what? You can't buy forgiveness with animal blood. That doesn't work. Hebrews 10.4, you can go look that up. But that's okay. A new covenant would come later, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But back to the Sinai Peninsula. The Israelites, they hiked right up to the border of Canaan. But once they got there, they kind of freaked out. They got this idea that the Canaanites would slaughter them as soon as they entered the promised land. So they started whining and complaining. They said, we never should have left Egypt. And they stopped trusting God. That's the bottom line. So God punished them. God made them wander in the desert. 40 years. Eventually, though, the Israelites did enter the promised land and they settled into this new home. And you might think after everything God did for them, they would remember that their God is the true God and the pagan gods were a bunch of fakes. You might think they would remember that, but they didn't. Over and over again, through the years, They wandered away from God. They worshiped those idols again. And God would punish them to get their attention. And then the people would suffer. And when they suffered, they cried out to God and asked for help. And he would help them. And then things got good. And the cycle began all over again. Now, during these early years in the promised land, uh, the nation of Israel was ruled by a series of leaders known as the Judges. At this time, God was still the official ruler over this nation, but the judges were his appointed leaders. However, that arrangement didn't last because the people wanted a king. They wanted a king to rule over them because that's how it worked with the nations around them, and they wanted to be like the cool kids. So God allowed them to have a king, and all of a sudden, Israel was a monarchy. And that monarchy started with three big names. Saul, then David, then Solomon. These guys are the heavy hitters. And these three kings, they were not perfect by any means. They all made some very bad decisions. But in general, this is the point where Israel was at its strongest. The nation was united. That didn't last either. Right after Solomon's reign... There was a major conflict, and Israel divided into two different nations. You had ten tribes up north who still went by the name of Israel, and then you had two tribes down south who are now called Judah. Now now you have two different kings, one up north, one down south. They're ruling over two different nations. So what do you think? Did, Did these kings in this arrangement do a good job? 
Did they help the people keep that covenant? I'm sorry to say, that is a big nope. <laughs> up, up in Israel, there was a series, an unbroken streak of 19 evil kings. I don't mean they were flawed. I don't mean they were just a little shady. I mean evil. Down south, it was a little better, but not much. Judah had 20 rulers, 19 kings and one queen, and at least 14 of them were evil too. Now, we'll pause the story right here because this is the context for those Old Testament prophets we looked at earlier. God's chosen people were not acting like his chosen people. They violated that covenant again and again. So God sent prophets to speak on his behalf. And as you can imagine, with what we're talking about here, a lot of what they had to say was bad news. So what was that bad news? I'll give you three different categories. First, the prophets accused people of sin. All kinds of sin. Uh, the Israelites worshipped false gods. That was probably number one. And they also oppressed the poor. But really, they just broke God's commandments left and right. Uh, for example, look at this message from the prophet Hosea. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, there is no faithfulness. No kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and then break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There's violence everywhere, one murder after another. And then down in verse 7, Hosea says, The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. So basically, we got a bunch of hooligans here. And what does God want his people to do? Well, there's a second kind of message that God uh, told the prophets to share. The prophets called the people to repent. And that word repent, it means to turn around, just to turn back to God. So the prophets were saying, guys, remember who you are. Remember that covenant. Stop this rebellion. Repent. Come back to God. So how do you think the Israelites responded to those messages? Well, in general, the response was not good. The people were like, why should I repent? What's going to happen if I don't? And that brings us to a third category of bad news. The prophets warned people of the coming consequences. They were like, listen. This is serious. If you do not change, you are headed for disaster. The judgment of God was on the way. It would not be pretty. And as you read through the prophets, you see these warnings again and again. The prophets describe uh, the judgment of God that was coming for the nation of Israel, for the nation of Judah, and for other nations as well. They also talked about this terrifying day known as the day of the Lord. And on this day, there would be no more second chances. It's kind of like if you're a parent and you have a child that's acting up and you really don't want to punish them, 
but you got to deal with it. So you count to three. You know how that goes, right? You're like, okay, you, you need to stop. I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. But eventually you have to get to three, right? And that's what the day of the Lord was like. It's a day when wrongdoers are finally punished and justice is finally served. Now, if you are on God's side, the day of the Lord is actually a great day. It means salvation. But if you are not on his side, it's a terrible day. It means destruction. And before that destruction came, God really tried to warn the people. Different prophets spoke to different generations in different places and different periods of time. And as you might expect, being a prophet, man, it was a difficult job. The prophets, they were constantly saying, hey, bad news, everybody, you're wrong. You need to change or else. That's not how you win a popularity contest, is it? When you're constantly telling people what they don't want to hear, they get sick of it. They get sick of you. So if you signed up to be a prophet, you signed up for rejection. You also signed up for humiliation. Because you see, God would often give these prophets crazy assignments. He, he would tell them to do these wild things to get people's attention. For example, look at what God said to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 20, verse 2, the Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos, take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, my servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. And this is a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. Are you kidding me? This guy had to walk around naked for three years. Makes your job seem pretty good, doesn't it? But really, that was just par for the course. God gave out these wild assignments over and over again. The prophet Ezekiel, he had to lay down on his side for 390 days. The, the prophet Hosea got a terrible assignment. God told him to marry a prostitute knowing that she was going to be unfaithful to him. Her name was Gomer. And not surprisingly, Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. But Hosea was supposed to remain faithful to her, even though she kept cheating on him. And what was the point of that? Well, this was God saying to Israel, listen, I have been faithful to you. You have not been faithful to me, but I still love you. It's a powerful message. So where did all of this end up? Well, the book of 2 Chronicles gives a really good summary. Uh, that book says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. You know what's coming, right? The day of the Lord is coming. 
And when the prophets spoke about the day of the Lord, they sometimes referred to an event that has not happened yet. Basically, the end of history. That's the big day of the Lord when God destroys evil once and for all and his kingdom will begin in its final eternal form. But the prophets also talked about a day of the Lord that happened back in Bible times. We, we see several examples of this in the Old Testament. Uh, let's go back and look at uh, that divided kingdom. Now, as I said, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, they had that unbroken line of evil kings. The people followed the example of those kings and the whole nation became hopelessly corrupt. So judgment finally came in the form of the Assyrian Empire. In 722 BC, the Assyrian army basically wiped Israel off the map. The people were all killed or enslaved or scattered. The northern kingdom was just gone. And it never came back. Down south, it was a different story. The southern kingdom lasted a little longer because there were points when they did turn back to God. But in the end, they ran out of chances as well. Eventually, the Assyrian, uh, the Assyrian Empire collapsed and, and this scrappy newcomer took their place. Babylon. And when God finally had it with Judah... Judah's destruction came at the hands of the Babylonians. In 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem fell. And the Babylonians set fire to basically the whole town. Solomon's temple, the, the beautiful temple where God's presence dwelt, it burned to the ground. This beautiful city became a wasteland. So what about the people? Well, many of them died. But a large number of survivors were carried off way over to the city of Babylon. So these Jewish survivors, they were forced to travel about 900 miles. And man, their, their homes were gone. Many of their family and friends were gone. And they couldn't get that image out of their minds. That image of Jerusalem in ashes. I don't think you can get much lower than that. At this point... God's chosen people were pretty much at rock bottom. And what was God's attitude as all of this took place? Was he like, hey guys, I told you so. I only warned you about a gazillion times. You're just getting what you deserve. God could have said that. He had every right to say that. But he didn't. See, here's the thing. God took no pleasure in what happened to Judah. There's something we should know about God. His deeper desire is not to pay you back. His deeper desire is to bring you back. And that's what he wanted to do here. At this low point, when it looked like all was lost, God wasn't done yet. And he knew how this story would play out. He'd actually been talking about it for years. Through all that time when the prophets were sharing bad news, they were also sharing good news for anyone who was willing to hear it. I also have three categories of good news the prophets shared. First, the prophets said again and again, there is still hope for anyone who turns back to God. 
Think about those exiles in Babylon. In the book of Jeremiah, there's this incredible promise. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, listen to this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So it's not over? According to Jeremiah, no, it's not over. So what's going to happen? Well, the very next verse, right after this, it's one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11. You're probably familiar with this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Yeah, a lot of people know this verse. But how many know the context around this verse? God spoke these words to a rebellious, disobedient people who had just gotten what they deserved. But through it all, God's love for them never died. He still had great plans for them. There was still hope for anyone who would turn to him. And that's what we see in the next verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 12. God says, through Jeremiah, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Man, that's a beautiful promise. God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And that promise applies not just to the uh, Jewish exiles in Babylon, it applies to us today. See, God has a very big plan. His plan is leading up to this great future, and he invites all of us to be part of this great future. But he won't make you be a part of it. Human beings can reject God, and he will honor your wishes your request but make no mistake he will do what he plans to do he will finish what he started and that's another piece of this good news the prophets shared that God will accomplish his purpose no matter what people do it goes back to that original promise that God made to Abraham God said he would bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants the people of Israel. And then centuries later, God made a different promise to King David. He said, David, there will come a time when one of your descendants will take your throne and he will rule forever and ever. And that ruler, that king, the descendant of Abraham and David, would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, let's think about this. If Judah had been completely wiped out and disappeared, that would have been horrible, not just for them, but for us as well, because we would have no Messiah, no Savior. God's promise would have been broken, but that didn't happen. God will accomplish his purpose. So he brought a remnant of his people back to the land of Judah. And this is some of the best news uh, that the prophets ever shared Many of those prophets said, the Messiah is coming. 
You know, by some counts, there are 300 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. 300. And Isaiah gave a lot of those messianic prophecies. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, he said, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. So Isaiah tells us about this Messiah. He says, yes, he will come from the line of David and he will be a great king. Beyond great, actually. He will be the king of all kings and his rule will never, ever end. But Isaiah also helps us understand that we don't deserve to be citizens in his kingdom. We should all be disqualified because of our sin. But then listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 53. He says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Then he goes on and he says, this is why the Messiah came into the world. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed treated harshly, yet he never said a word, and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. We've all done it, haven't we? We've all wandered away from God, but in the same way that God still loved his chosen people, he still loved us as well. In fact, he loved us so much He sent his one and only son to be our sacrifice, to carry our sin on his shoulders. He died so that we could have life, eternal life. Next week, we'll start looking at the fulfillment of these prophecies, and it's an amazing thing. Remember those 300 prophecies about the Messiah? Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of them. It's a statistical impossibility that this could be a coincidence Jesus is the Messiah. And when he showed up in the world, he established a new covenant. And that phrase, new covenant, might not sound super exciting, but it's actually the best news you could ever hear. It's called the gospel. We'll get to that next week. But as we wrap this up today, I want to end with a question. Before you leave here, ask yourself, what do you need to hear from God today? What news does he want to share with you? Use your imagination for a second. Let's say that God sent you your own personal prophet. If he did that, what would the prophet say to you? Well, he might share some good news. He might share some bad news, right? It could be that God wants to get your attention right now because you've wandered away from him. You've wandered into sin. Or maybe you dove headfirst into sin. And he's calling you to come back. And he's, he's letting you know that there will be some serious consequences if you do not stop what you're doing. It could also be that he has some good news to share with you. Maybe he wants you to know that whatever it is you're going through right now, there is still hope. 
you, you can hang on to him because God will accomplish his purpose. People can't change that. People can't stop that. So if you are on his side, you will overcome literally every obstacle. If God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Or maybe this message that God wants you to hear is just to cling to the hope that the Messiah is coming. He first came a long, long time ago, but he's coming again. And when that day arrives, the final day of the Lord, if you belong to him, that's going to be the best day ever. There's so much hope in that. We can trust his promises. So what, what do you need to hear from God today? What news does he want to share with you? Let's think about that. Let's pray about that over the next few moments. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that you love us. You love us enough to tell us the truth, whether that's good news or it's bad news. But I know the gospel is good news, and it overcomes any possible bad news because there's hope for anyone who turns to you. There's hope through Jesus. So I pray that everyone here, we, we will either find that hope for the first time or we will just hold on to it. Lord, whatever it is that we need to hear and whatever it is that we need to do, I pray that you will work in our hearts, convict us, encourage us, so that we will respond and be who you want us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.